Well, we are not on a new journey yet, and so I've got an open opportunity to preach what I felt God put on my heart. And so I've come up with something this morning. I don't know why, because I think it's a crazy subject to speak about. It might, in fact, be my least popular sermon ever preached. So some of you might not even like me anymore after the sermon, but I'm going to preach it anyway. So today we're talking about this. No, we're not talking about bathrooms. We are talking about... Males and females. And God created them male and female. Now, there's an interesting Old Testament verse that stood out to me the other day. Have a look at it. Let me turn my back on you so I can hide while I read it. But uh, maybe it comes from the book of Deuteronomy. And it says in Deuteronomy 22, A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Okay, say yikes. Now, don't, don't get all judgmental because you suddenly look at your clothing thinking, well, cook, which cam? No, no. Because remember, church, remember, we're not living in the Old Testament. We're not living under law. We're not living under condemnation. We're not judged. Our righteousness is not in the law. Our righteousness is faith in Jesus. And Jesus has fulfilled the law and set us free. But the interesting thing now is as we study the Old Testament, we should always be asking the question, God, what are you revealing about yourself? This is not about our righteousness. This is about God revealing himself to us. For example, in the Old Testament, you had to take 10% of your income and you had to give it into the, the temple and that was called a tithe and that was the law. Do we still have to do it? No, Jesus fulfilled that. He was the firstborn offered on our behalf, offered up to God. The law has been fulfilled. But what it teaches us about God is that we serve a father who honors what we do with our first. That's why I say seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What you do with the first determines what God does with the rest. So I highly encourage you, because God hasn't changed, to take the first portion of your income dedicated to God in belief that God can multiply the rest to his glory. Make sense? It's not a law. It's just that's what we've learned about our Father. Sabbath thing. You don't have to have a Sabbath rest. Jesus is our Sabbath. The Bible says today God has created a new day of rest and it's called today in Christ we rest from our performance-based law fulfilling. No, no, in Jesus he is our Sabbath. But God worked six days and took a day's rest. So what we learn from our Heavenly Father is that we perform better when we work from a place of rest. So Monday for me is my Sabbath. So what does this mean? So this reveals to us something interesting about our father. He wants men to be men. And he wants women to be women. Isn't that profound? That's it. That's my sermon covered right there. Our heavenly father wants men to be men. And our heavenly father wants women to be women. Now, you might sound that's so obvious. Well, not in the world we live in nowadays. We live in a world that's getting crazy confused in terms of all of these gender issues. And I'm not preaching into gender issues today. I'm preaching about that our Heavenly Father wants men to be men and women to be women. See, God's not confused about our gender. God doesn't want men and women to be the same. And God does not make mistakes. In Psalm 139 verse 14, it says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 
God's work is wonderful. He doesn't make mistakes. And we get to glorify God in the way that he has created and made us to be. God wants men to be men and women to be women, and that's wonderful. We've got to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to be deceived into thinking the way we feel determines what I should be in life. That's based on your testosterone level or your estrogen level. I'm not a man because I feel like a man. I'm a man because God made me one. And the world wants to determine truth by what they feel. We determine truth by what God has said. And that's the fundamental difference. Sometimes you might not feel very manly. Doesn't change the fact that God's called you to be a man. And in his word, he shows us how to be men and ladies, how to be women. The problem, of course, is the enemy, Jesus said, the thief comes to rob, to kill, and to destroy. And we have an enemy who is robbing people of their destiny by killing their identity, destroying their security, and creating confusion, chaos, and disorder. And that's what we're seeing in the world right now. Incredible confusion around gender issues, merging genders into one, stepping from one gender into another. And part of that is because the world has this thinking that if there's any difference, then one must be better than another. And so in an expression to try and say, surely all of us are equal, let's try and merge things together. But that's, and I'll show you in a moment, old covenant thinking. God made us Male and female. And here's the thing. We're never going to find equality by doing everything the same. We find equality in Christ alone. Jesus makes us equal. But the beautiful thing about that we learn in the Bible is being equal in value doesn't mean to say we have to be equal in our function and our role. God wants men and women to be different. If he only wanted men, he would only have made men. If he only wanted women, he would only have made women. If he'd wanted more than just men and women, he would have made a whole lot in between. So why am I sharing this today? Well, in a moment of vulnerability, I found myself actually looking at the world, assessing the world, and hearing about all of these these stories, how children born in some European countries now have up to the age of four to submit their birth certificate, but then they can decide if they want to be a boy or a girl. And it's illegal to speak about this and about that. And, and, and it's all of these, it's so many people changing from one gender to another. No more boys, girls, toilets. It's all a blurred type of thing. And I found myself looking at the world and in some ways being condescending. It's like, oh, the world is getting crazy. And then I felt the little whisper of the Holy Spirit into my heart. And the loving rebuke of a heavenly father saying, be careful, Brent, because you're doing the same thing in the church. I thought, no way, surely not us, Lord. And I began to realize that in some ways we've been downplaying, me, downplaying the fact that there's some things men that God has called us to do. And ladies, there's things that God has called you to do. But sometimes in the name of political correctness, we've been blurring them together because we're all equal. Yes, we are all equal in Christ. But the best thing that we could be doing as a church to display the glory of God to the world He's finding out those unique things God has called men and women to do and do them to his glory. You see, God says in Genesis 1.27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
Now, what that means is there's an aspect of the revelation of God that only men can truly bring to light. And there's an aspect of God that only ladies can really reveal. And God is not looking to lose his glory by treating them the same. He wants both of us together, working together to display his glory to the world. Have we suppressed the unique roles of men and women in an unbiblical attempt to display equality? It takes both to express his glorious image. So, when women try to be men, they sacrifice that glory that God's put inside of them. When men try to be women, they sacrifice the glory that God's put inside of them. And the big idea is that if you want your life to bring maximum glory to God, and I hope that's your desire, then we've got to find out how do we do it as a man or ladies as a lady. And the world desperately needs to see men who embrace godly manhood, women who embrace godly womanhood, who discover the glory that God has placed inside men and women and learn to express them well. Does that make sense? Oh, now it's very quiet. Yo. I brought the rocks, but I've kept them up here so that I can throw them at you and not you at me. Now, differing roles do not mean differing value. Now, let's have a look at another Old Testament passage. And now it says, no, it doesn't say there. Oh, there we go. Leviticus 27, 1 to 4. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, If anyone makes a special vow to dedicate a person to the Lord by giving the equivalent value... Set the value of a male between the ages of 20 and 60 at 50 shekels of silver according to the sanctuary shekel. For a female, set her value at 30 shekels. Yikes. Okay, Old Testament, men, worth 50 shekels, ladies, 30 shekels. Why? Why would that be? Well, now let's think about it. Because in the Old Testament, remember, men... Most of the work was farming or fighting. So your value is how much farming can you do, and generally men can do more. They can carry more, work longer, harder, carry. And how much fighting can they do? They only send men to the army. So here's the thing. Old Testament thinking, because it was all based on the law, is your value is based on your performance. Value based on performance. Value based on performance. Guess what most of the world thinks? Value based on performance. Jesus comes, fulfills all of the old conditional law, and now it says to us beautifully in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Most beautiful, one of the aspects of the cross I love so much is when Jesus was fulfilling this, buying people out of slavery. He wasn't four drops of blood for every male, two drops for every female. Same blood paid for all of us. And what Jesus was doing on the cross was making the statement equal in his sight. President of the United States, some guy living on the street, homeless, that the world would say doesn't carry worth. Same worth in God's eyes. His blood pays for each one of us. Jesus paid the same price for men and women on the cross by his blood. In the kingdom of God, men and women have equal value before God. It's a sign of our fallen nature. A sinful nature when we always have to evaluate every difference based on who is more important than who. So what I want to do this morning is look at three examples where the Bible very clearly looks at the differing roles of men and women. 
Example number one, let's look at the family. Dad's role, mom's role. Interesting, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, Paul speaking, he says, Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Paul, as a great apostle into the church, was saying, just learn from moms, moms, their job, their job in supporting a family, nursing, caring. That's how I was among you as a church. But then a few verses later in 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, he says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who de- calls you into his kingdom and glory. I love that. We were among you like a mother. We dealt with you like a father. There's a complete difference in the way of his thinking. In fact, in Hebrews 12 verse 9, it says, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Now, I know moms, you always involved in that discipline process, looking after kids at home, but who is primarily responsible for the discipline of the kids? Fathers disciplined their children and the children respected them because of it. Here's the key thing. How many times, men, have we just palmed it off to mom's job? Let mom be the baddie. I've had a tough day. I want to be the goodie. No, no. Dad, your job is to carry that role, primary responsibility for discipline in the home, for shaping and molding your kid's identity and security. Mom, your job, bringing that support of love, of care, of security into the home. Different role. Dad's primary role is dealing and disciplining, shaping, taking responsibility for the identity and destiny of your children. Mom, primary responsibility is to support the family, giving security and comfort. I don't know about, uh, I've heard that in some homes, kids are quite clever at, uh, at playing, you know, mom against dad. Don't know if it's ever happened in any of you. Certainly never happened in ours. But, uh, but in some ways, kids can sometimes have this ability, you know, to like, if mom doesn't say, let's get dad, if dad, we can work the two of them against each other. The Bible says any house divided against itself is going to fall. This is why in a home situation, we need a team. We need someone who's primarily responsible, carries responsibility for the direction of that family, And then we need someone whose primary responsibility is let's keep this team going in the same direction, supporting one another. Young people of today have never been more desperate for strong parenting teams. Dads who have the courage to take responsibility for their kids' lives. Moms who give their kids the support that they need to succeed. What about another big one? Husbands and wives. Another area that's been under such incredible attack And the root of the attack against marriages around the world is this refusal, this whole, when you hear the word submit, it's like a swear word. It's like, no, 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 equal, co-equal, everything's, what does the Bible say? It says in Ephesians 5, 22, it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, to the Lord. And people come to me and say, hey, pastor, I submit to no man, no earthly authority. I submit to God. I think to myself, you're a dwarf. And you're just trying to deceive yourself because you outwork your submission to the Father by listening, by submitting to his word. You're not more submitted to Jesus than you are to your husband, ladies. It's because that's what the Bible says. 
You submit to him as unto the Lord. You can't say, I'm fully submitted to Jesus, but not my husband. That's just a lie. You're deceived. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands when they agree. No. You're not submitting when you agree. I remember one pastor teaching me that once. He said, actually, I spoke to this one wife. She said, no, no, pastor, I submit. 97% of the time, I submit to my husband. And he lovingly said, no, wife, 97% of the time, you agree with your husband. It's the other 3% that that's when submission actually steps in. Anyway, not me. I I just heard that. (laughs) But wives, you get it easier. Because husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. That was a turning point for me. Suddenly I realized happiness is not the primary concern here. He didn't die on the cross to make her happy. He died on the cross to make her holy. Amazing thing is that happiness will follow holiness but not the other way around. So actually husbands... We're not there to avoid every sign of conflict and avoid every decision in the name of let's keep everyone happy. It's not going to work. Our goal has to be holiness. We do what God has called us to do. We put God first and we serve him. And as we approach holiness more and more and more, by the grace of God, happiness flourishes in the home. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. So if you go to gym and are horrible to your wife, you're deceived. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Husbands, wives, our roles are different. Equal before God, 100%. Roles, different. Husbands, our roles are primarily loving our wives by taking responsibility for the state of our marriages. Take a moment, men. If you're married right now, if you plan on getting married, let the fear of God come upon you now. You are responsible for the state of your marriage. You can justify and excuse and blame everything else, but you before God are responsible for the state of your marriage. Wives, your primary, primary responsibility is respecting. It's called submission, giving support. Now, some of you might have read that Christian classic, The Five Love Languages. How do people love to be uh, words of affirmation, quality time? Yes, 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 and yes. But now I'll give you the cheat code. All men are loved primarily by respect. Finished. That's it. You, you can bring him flowers and you can make him tea, But that's not his primary love language. Men are wired by God to respond to respect. So if you give him respect, it's like, remember those jumping castles? Some of you have that, and there's that little little thing that blows them up? That's respect right there. 
If you want to see your man rise and fulfill what God's called him to do, you've got to be that little compressor that blows respect into him and he will flourish. When you turn it off, becomes that naughty school child. It still lives inside most men and it's just waiting to come out. Sometimes you think, but how could I respect? My husband's not even a believer. You're not going to get him to be a believer by taking primary responsibility for his spiritual well-being and leading him to Jesus by preaching the Bible. Not going to happen. You know how you're going to get him to Christ? By doing what the Bible says. Submitting to him, supporting him, encouraging him, letting your inner beauty of a heart that settled before Jesus shine forth and eventually he'll want to find out more about this Jesus that you speak about. Just send the Bible. And I love you guys. What the world needs right now is good examples of great marriages where men are doing what men are supposed to do. Take responsibility for their marriages, love their wives passionately, sacrificially, and lead them in the direction of God's word. What the world needs to see is wives who are not scared of submission because they've realized it's the secret weapon of the kingdom of God. The most submitted person in the world was given the highest place of authority in the world. Only when you have faith in Jesus will submission become a blessing. If you don't have faith in Jesus, it's going to be a swear word like the world. Jesus radically revolutionized that. But the fear, if I had to submit, I'm losing control. No, you're trusting your heavenly father to do what he says in his word. As we submit to the Father and demonstrate it through submission to the husband we have, God will exalt you and not reduce your influence, but elevate it and exalt it. And I'll read that scripture in a moment. But that's the warm-up. Let me have a look at this scripture. Let's talk about men and women in church. In 1 Timothy 8, 1 Timothy 2, sorry, 8 to 15. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Men. See, this is where the battle takes place. Well done, you incredible woman of God who come out and pray week after week after week. Men, where are you? I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and proprietary, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. That word quiet, that's not about never speaking in church, because you know we've had many ladies speaking here in church. This is speaking about the unsettledness of a quarrelsome heart. That's demanding attention, demanding equal rights, demanding equal everything I need to be heard. He's saying, no, that's not what's going to display the glory of our God. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing. I don't know what that means. If they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Now I'll confess to you, I don't understand everything that Paul was talking about. How much was specific to that context and that culture. But the one thing I do know is he addressed men and women differently. And what else I know is that our God never limits, he always liberates. 
So we can read the Bible and put on a lens of chauvinism and old-fashioned and think, what is going on here? Or we can put on the lens of saying, our God is good. His word liberates, brings freedom, and brings us to life and fulfillment. And if that's the case, Lord, there are secrets in here, which if we turned a blind eye and said it's not politically correct, we would miss. Men, our job is to be upfront, to lead and protect. Well done to all of you incredible ladies who have that gift of leadership, and it is one of the grace gifts. But men primarily are called to be out in front, setting the pace, leading our homes, leading our families, leading the church. To express God's glory through courageous faith to conquer. Jesus was the most courageous person in the world. Courage to lay down his life because he trusted his father to raise him up again. Men, take responsibility for the state of our city, our nation, and our church. Woman, primary role is to support, is to bring your energy, your gifts, and your effort and breathe life into the team, keeping the team together. Is it weakness? Well, I've got a wife who's a very strong leader. It's not a weakness to learn to submit. It's taking the full strength. The best uh, definition of submission I ever heard was taking one of those wild stallions or mare horses. And when they, when they allow themselves to be broken in, they don't lose their strength, but their strength becomes harnessed so that someone else can make use of it. And to submit to God means we bring all of our strength and we submit it to the master so that he can direct our strength in the area he chooses. Observation. Even nowadays, most of the movies that you seem to watch nowadays, women are the heroes. Spoiler alert, even 007 is now a woman. If you haven't watched the new James Bond, I'm telling you now, even the new 007 is a woman. And almost every movie that I seem to watch nowadays, gone are the men that inspired boys to want to be rugged and be heroes and grow up and lead. And now they're all women who are the rescuers, who are the saviors, who make the big decisions under pressure in the name of equality. And it looks so good to the world, but wisdom is proved right by all of her children. It takes another generation to realize where are the men? Where are those who are supposed to be taking responsibility? The temptation for men, and men, this is our temptation, is to just stop fighting, to back off. I, just, I don't need any conflict. And sometimes you see men, courageous men at work and in industry and in society, getting home and becoming wimps. I just don't want to fight anymore. I'm not fighting at home as much as I have to fight out there. And so sometimes we back off through laziness, through fear, through weakness, and no longer take responsibility. End up giving away responsibility, abdicating responsibility, or denying responsibility. Temptations of women... To step in, take over the role of primary leader in the home because he's too weak, he's too lazy, he's too stupid. It's fear or it's rebellion. And so we withhold that support instead of breathing in respect and support. So I want to finish off with a practical challenge. By now, either you're listening or you hate me. (laughs) For those of you who are still listening, if we're going to take men, if we're going to take responsibility... You can't take something of your hand is already full. So men, our primary job, what does it mean to be a man in God's eyes? It means to be a primary responsibility taker for your marriage, your family, and your community, church, and country. 
But we're going to have to empty certain things out of our hands before we've got space to take responsibility. Number one, we have to empty our hand of excuses. Because you can't take responsibility and make an excuse at the same time. Because they're just diametrically opposed. It's, it's not my fault. It's because of this reason. Or if I had that, or if I could do this, I'm this personality type. I'm this. As long as you are carrying excuses, you can't take responsibility. No room in your hand. Number two, you have to get rid of that rock of self-pity. But it's not fair. Pastor, if you understood what my wife was like, what my house was like, what my job was like, what my background was like, what this was like, what if you're feeling sorry for yourself, you'll never take responsibility. We actually have to lay down self-pity and leave it right there. And then the third thing, we're not going to take responsibility if we're so distracted with everything else in life that we're busy doing. The demands of the job, the pressure of this, yes, yes, yes. But your primary responsibility is to be a husband, is to be a father, and is to fulfill what God has called you in your life. And so sometimes our hands are already full because of all of the distractions of the other busyness, and so we don't take hold of our primary responsibilities. Men, can you say amen? Amen. We've got to open our hands, we've got to take out excuses, we've got to take out self-pity, and we've got to take out the distractions that are keeping us from primary responsibility. Ladies, Bible says you've got to give support. For me, summing it up, primary responsibility of the ladies is to give support to your husband, to give support to the family, and to give support to your community, your church, and what you're involved in. But you can't give something if you've got nothing in your hand. You have to have something in your hand to be able to give away. Three things. Number one, you have to be able to take on respect, which sometimes is the hardest one. Now, the world says respect is to be earned. The Bible commands it. So choose. If you're a worldly person, wait until your husband actually earns the respect, and then I'll start respecting him. Sounds good. It's worldly. It's not in the Bible. That makes it sin. It's a choice that we make. And so actually the Bible says, ladies, respect your husband. So actually you've got to take it on board. It's an attitude of empowerment. It's an attitude of support. It's an attitude of, I believe the best in you and we can do it together. We've got to put respect into our hand. Number two, you've got to put into your hand unity. Now here's my understanding. Men, our primary responsibility is to bring our lives, our marriages in line with God. Ladies, your primary responsibility then is to bring yourself in line with your husband. I'm not saying you become a doormat. I'm saying taking on, okay, if I'm going to be giving support, then I need to get myself into agreement with my husband. And right now we don't. So we only need to talk and we need to work this thing out or I'm going to need to lay it down, but I can't walk away from this with an ante in my heart. I need to bring unity if I'm going to bring support. Third thing is beauty. Beauty. It's one of the Many things that men and women have in common, they both love beauty. Might look different in different ways. But beauty is something that everyone is attracted to. And the Bible very clearly reminds us that beauty outwardly is great but fleeting. But there's a greater beauty that God has put inside ladies. It says that beauty of an unfading, that gentle and quiet spirit. It says it is of great value in God's eyes. And if God finds it attractive, how much more hasn't he wired it into the heart of his sons to find the true beauty of someone who might be incredibly strong, powerful, or, but they've got a gentle, quiet spirit that's not contending, not authority clash over everything. There's not always a grind of authority, but you're able to bring that 
the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. <clears throat> so let me land. Oof, over time. I've got a, one of my pastor friends leads a church in the township, and he said, ah, Brent, I get all of this, but here's the reality. There's no men in our church, so I want to make the ladies are brilliant leaders. I'm going to release them as elders in the church. And we wrestled over this. I said, but here's the thing, but you've got to understand this. You can release all of those ladies to be your elders in the church, and it's going to solve the problem now, but then you'll never have the men in the church. You're never going to have healthy marriages in the church. You're never going to have men who are elders one day. If you truly want to do it this way, no, find the one man you do have in your church, start a men's meeting and begin to disciple him and trust God to add another and another and another. It's the way we're wired. Somehow, ladies, you are more spiritual. You'll support when your men are up front. Men tend to back off when all they see is the ladies up front. So this has got nothing against strong women. Ladies, go for it, but do it with a right heart. And the way God has wired men is that they come alive when they're taking responsibility and stepping up. So here's the big idea. The Bible is not genderless. God has made both men and women in his image, and he wants to reflect his glory differently in men and women. None of this is about how you feel, testosterone or estrogen levels. This is about what does your word say, Lord God. And remember, grace follows faith. When we put our faith in his word, God's enabling grace begins to empower. Our response to a genderless or gender-confused world is not too hard, but to show forth the beauty of God's wisdom. The beauty of men taking primary responsibility for their marriages, families, and communities. The beauty of women giving full support to their husbands, to their families, to their communities. Is it popular? Not a chance. Not in the world, and sadly not really in the church either. But do I believe it's the will of God? I absolutely do. If as men, you think you're not up to the job, join the club. But His grace follows faith in his word. Ladies, if you're one of those anti-submission, you're not alone. But may the word of God give you faith as you remember about Jesus. Philippians 2, 8 to 11. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. A man who humbled himself, who submitted himself the most in the entire universe, says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the heart of a fear of submission is, I'm going to lose my influence. The Bible says the opposite is true. May God give us courage men to stand up and take responsibility may god give us courage ladies to be great support givers breathing love encouragement and strength into those who lead in jesus name amen Amen. will you stand with me please let's close our eyes for a moment friends i realize that Some of what I've shared this morning, you might not like at all. That's okay. My prayer for you is not that you would write it off, but that you would seek God's word for yourself. I want you to remember, we live in a world that has got an agenda. It's like there's a current in the river. And to be a follower of Jesus means we go upstream and not downstream. 
And when it comes to these issues of gender, I don't want us to be reactionary. I want us to respond to God and to live out God's word well. The best way we as a church can ever respond or react to the world is by just doing what God has called us to do. Father God, I pray for your grace. I pray that your word would work into our hearts where maybe there's been offense or confusion or Lord, let your word work into our hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, that your grace, your incredible love would minister to us. Minister to us. That in no way would condemnation or judgment or criticism come, but rather the challenge of a loving God to say, I've created you in this way for my glory. Holy Spirit, would you breathe courage and strength to men and to women. Help us to reflect your incredible goodness and glory to the world. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that your gracious hand is upon us, O Lord. Thank you that you're stirring, touching, and changing hearts and lives. Friends, if you need ministry this morning, just you'll know it because in your heart there's, hey, I, I, need, I need to be prayed for this morning. We've got a team and we'd love to pray that. Maybe you're ready to respond to Christ. Just say, yes, this is the Jesus that I want to follow. Then don't forget, we've got a, a baptism coming up uh, later on this month where we're going to talk why baptism. And maybe you're ready to take the step of full commitment to Christ. We would love you to come and join us for that. We'd love to pray for you right now as well. So Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your gracious hand upon us. Thank you for your blessing and favor. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your ways are above our ways, higher than our ways. Help us to walk in the fruit of them. In Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Please pray for me and Quentin and Nikki while we're away this next week. We'll see you the weekend after that. Our tithes and offering boxes by the door if you want to make use of that. Please drop your little cup into that on your way. God bless you and see you soon. Amen.